tonight I wanted to speak about the path, you know, and how often, you know, that feeling can come up, you know, like there's so many obstacles in the path and they are obstacles for practice. But then if we really, um, you know, stop and uh, consider then actually it's the obstacles themselves which make the path. The, the path is just like one obstacle after the next and some of them, you know, are really big and others are just like, you know, we don't even notice them. So, and, and you know, through being willing, you know, to open up and stay conscious with that, we mature and we, we grow in wisdom and compassion. And, uh, you know, that's really what the path is all about. And I just want to start with a poem by one of the enlightened arahant bhikkhunis at the time of the buddha and uh, her name is bhikkhuni tissa and she says find your true home on the path find the path right here in the center of your own heart if you keep searching in the past and searching in the future you will search and search, but your searching will never end. If you keep searching in the past and searching in the future, you will search and search, but your searching will never end. And that's, you know, basically saying the path is in the present moment where we are just right now with whatever it is. That's the path and whatever it's happening you know we can use it to you know open and uh, learn from it and, and be changed by that experience and then you know through repeating that opening like a million times or more than that really uh, you know we we will be changed by that experience and this that letting go which is very difficult to explain but you know by doing it again and again we get a taste of that open mind which has let go and then we become more and more confident that this is actually what we are looking for it's not things it's not you know particular experiences but it's that letting go of wanting anything which which is when we are truly feeling and you know, a feeling of fulfillment a feeling of connectedness with uh, our life and with ourselves and with others and, and a feeling of all wishes are fulfilled because there are no wishes at, at this very moment. And, uh, you know, through, through repetition, we just uh, train ourselves to have more and more confidence in that uh, resting in, in awareness. And then, of course, you know, the mind slips again into holding on or defending against something and then as we remember it we let go again and then again it's like this taste of freedom for a moment only maybe 
and it's this you know back and forth back and forth back and forth which is the practice and then through the repetition we become one more um, you know courageous really and even you know one more challenging situations we we remember oh letting go and then we sleep again and then letting go again it's a skill which we learn through training ourselves in trusting that openness of the mind and you know it doesn't mean you know that all problems are solved but it's it's a different place from where we connect with whatever is happening in our lives you know and taking a, a different having a different angle on all of this not taking it so personal and you know having a, a sense of curiosity and and the sense of uh, faith in the teachings that it really works and uh, you know if you have a lot of ideals that's then it's very difficult because there's a lot of shoots and should notes in the mind and that makes it very difficult to um, you know to stay conscious because the stories you know, can be very very convincing but then, you know, over the years, I have observed, you know, myself on the path that over the years, you know, it's always the same stories. And then over like 10 years or so, you know, you still notice I'm still, you know, falling for the same stories. So it becomes like a little bit easier you know, to, to wake up quicker to it. And, uh, you know, remembering, you know, being conscious of the ideals we have. It's not that we shouldn't have any ideals, but to be conscious of them, that's what's really important here. Because it, I think it's very good to have a guiding star for one's practice, but then, you know, to kind of try to really become that is very counterproductive. But rather, you know, becoming aware of the arising and ceasing of perfection as well and the arising and ceasing of difficulties and it's about that you know it's about trusting the arising and ceasing trusting the impermanence of whatever it is a perfect experience or a difficult experience or a boring one that's what they all have in common and that's what's liberating to notice that impermanence of all of those experiences And then to have, you know, the, the mindfulness and the, the courage and the clarity of mind that we remember that, you know, whenever we are caught up in something to just uh, making it conscious, that's all what's needed. It's not that we shouldn't have this thought or that thought or anything. It's just about making it conscious and then stepping out of that identity into you know this much bigger space opening the mind and letting go 
and you know and that really matures us it burns away attachment it just burns away those patterns of mind you know which some of them have very strong underlying conditioning from maybe early childhood where we have experienced some really you know difficult uh, trauma maybe and then that doesn't go away quickly it can take a very long time and you know we carry it probably through lifetimes but through making it conscious we can start you know to uh, gain some perspective on it and uh, you know allow those obstacles on the path to be actually our gifts you know our opportunity to train ourselves and uh, you know often the most uh, difficult experiences can be you know an opening onto the path in my case i think many of you have heard that already but in my case it was for example the death the very sudden death of my mother when i was a uh, 28 year, years old from a horse riding accident she died and and uh, you know that was um, a very shocking experience for me then and it opened me it matured me very very quickly because until then you know i had used quite a lot of strategies to distract myself from suffering as as good as that was possible you know and some of those uh, substances and different things what i did they were rather unskillful they didn't really fit into the five precepts i must admit and uh, you know through the sudden death of my mother i was really jolted out of that uh, because i felt like i don't want to waste my time anymore because this is something i really need to understand why things like that can happen so that really matured me to the extent that uh, i was ready you know, for some kind of a teaching or some kind of guidance and i was ready to you know to apprentice myself to something and then because it says you know, when the student is ready the teacher appears and then yes within one and a half years i happened to find myself you know, at the feet of my first teacher who was a Thai forest master that was 1988 that happened and I still remember very well you know uh, because everybody was bowing to him and I was just saying I'm never gonna bow I'm not gonna do this and uh, and I was uh, staying at the monastery there and was working in the kitchen and I remember one day the, the head cook in the kitchen just took my head when we were sitting in front of Ajahn Buddha Dasa and just pushed me down on the ground like three times like that. And I just didn't want to make a fuss. So I just went down with her like that. And then, you know, I felt really kind of very weird at that moment. But somehow the ice was broken and then next time I tried it, you know, on, on my own and I was like, hopefully nobody's going to see me because I, I had a very, uh, you know, very Western, let's say, idea of bowing down is, you know, kind of 
becoming dominated by somebody else and all of those ideas we can have about this, you know, physical position of sub submission, really. And, and then, you know, I got a real, I got the taste of it. And then it became a relief, you know, to have somebody or something worth bowing to. I felt a sense of relief, really. And then from then onwards, it was easy. So when I came then to Amaravati a few years later, I was already well uh, trained in bowing was not a problem. But then there were other things which were a problem. I remember the most difficult <laughs> one was that the, the, the men and women you know, had to bring the tray with, with tea or food on their knees you know, to the monks. And when I saw that, I got really again. I said, I'm never going to do this. Absolutely not. This is crazy. I, what kind of a place is this? And then, but then also I started to think inside myself, you know, if I'm able to, if I would be able to bring a tray like this and not have a nervous breakdown, I think that would be a huge accomplishment for me. So I uh, was another obstacle on the path, you know. So I took some rescue remedy and, and say, today I'm going to bring the tray because if you made breakfast, you had to bring the tray to Arjun Sumedo on your knees. So I had a few shots of rescue remedy and then I just you know, went on my knees with the tray and gave it to him. And I felt afterwards, I felt so um, happy that I, ha that I was able to do this because I'd overcome like a, something I... I I never thought I'd be able to do because I would feel so embarrassed doing it. And then, you know, after like a few times, it became no problem. And then the next thing was, then I became an Anagarika and then we had to always, one of the Anagarikas had to do a little chant to invite the teacher of the day to give a Dhamma talk. This little chant by uh, Brahma Sahampati you know, comes down from the heavens and asks the Buddha, you know, please give a teaching out of compassion for those with little dust in their eyes. And there was a little four-line uh, chant in Pali. And I thought again, I can't be an Anagarika because I can't do this chant in the temple in front of so many people. I can't do it. I can't do it. And even before I was in theater and I was like performing in front of hundreds of people, was no problem, but I just thought this chant, I can't do it. But of course I did it because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to be an Anagarika. And again, you know, after I did it a few times, I felt so relieved. So I think you could probably get it what I wanna, wanna speak about. It's those, you know, those obstacles. Some are really rather small and maybe ridiculous like those I was just mentioning but some can be huge. And if we can take them, you know, as an opportunity to stretch the mind and the heart, then we are on the path. And, um, you know, this way of, of dealing with our lives, you know, to really use everything what's happening as, a, as food for the practice. 
you know, this is a teaching I've heard very often when we were in Amaravati with Ajahn Sumedha. You know, Ajahn Chah was emphasizing that a lot and that the practice, you know, in those monasteries of the Ajahn Chah lineage, they're very much geared towards community practice where, you know, lots of people are living together who, use, who normally would not live together, but because they all have that aspiration for training and they all want to, you know, maybe ordain at Amaravati, that's what brings them together. Same here, like at the local Vihara as well. You know, we are a very interesting uh, group of people who might not ha ever have met if they wouldn't have the same aspiration, you know, to practice the Dhamma and to, you know, want to be bhikkhunis and want to get bhikkhuni training. That's what all, you know, keeps us together here. And this, you know, community practice can be very uh, powerful if, you know, we do have the uh, capacity to, to keep on opening, even in the most, you know, and difficult situations. You know, not opening to anybody in particular, but opening to our own inner experience and to the external things you know, which are happening to us. This constant opening, 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 and opening again. And then in particular, if you know, we are not able to leave the ideals we have, you know, the ideals which brought us to this path. Like for me, you know, I was very uh, inspired by, you know, by my first teacher, by his presence by the way he conducted himself and and everything and uh, you know in the beginning i was very naive and thinking oh you know having this teaching about the four foundations of mindfulness you know that's a if you know that everything is impermanent it will be easy you know to just deal with uh, my experience but then it turns out it isn't that easy you know, theoretical knowledge is, is good to have it, but then, you know, when we are really challenged and, uh, you know, the, on, on those levels, body, mind, feeling, tones, and storylines, all of that, you know, mixing up together into a huge kind of orchestra of input, it's very difficult to stay steady with that, to stay, um, conscious and you know living in a community is uh you know is ideally the right mixture between you know support and challenge so that you know we do have the support in order to you know to stay on the path and to have a, a certain kind of you know regularity through the schedule and through having certain duties to fulfill and working together as a group and through that regularity and you know, this the certain kind of um, you know worries or certain concerns are falling away and then there's more capacity to ideally you know, look at our own experience. And then at the same time, you know, through living together, there's a lot of uh, different things which arise 
by you know being in a situation where they, where you very often do not get you know your way what what you would be your preferred way of uh, doing things or eating things or not doing things and everything in between. So the practice, you know, in the Ajahn Chah tradition is in particular about that. You know, using the, the community as a, as a support for waking up. And, uh, you know, this constant remembering to let go of uh, our preferences and, you know, allowing the different attachments, you know, which we become conscious of through living together with others, you know, to just become conscious of those stories and then maybe you know let it go for a moment and then it comes up again but then over the years you know we start to notice certain uh, patterns and then ideally you know through long 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 repetition you know we start to kind of grow a little bit out of certain stories and that's different for everybody you know which stories are coming up first and then there's, you know, capacity increases to not believe in certain stories anymore. And then they drop away and then the next layer comes up. And the next layer comes up and gets, you know, deeper and deeper in over time. So it's a, it's a very powerful uh, tool you know and then sometimes also for people it comes to the point where they feel okay it, it doesn't work anymore for me and then they go somewhere else or they put down the ropes and become lay people again and then some people come back again and take the ropes again so there's many different ways you know how the practice can happen but as a as a you know general underlying principle it's about you know using whatever is happening as a as a challenge and uh, opening to it and you know allowing ourselves to be changed by that experience by seeing the impermanence of it most of all Seeing you know, the arising and ceasing. And then, you know, in even very challenging situations, we can remember, oh, this is impermanent too. I don't necessarily have to make such a big deal out of it. And then if we really you know, are able to not suppress it, but really able to stay steady with it. And we do see the ceasing of it. You know, that instills a sense of confidence that next time, you know, maybe we can take something on which is even more challenging. And then our life starts to open up. 
So in that sense, you know, this constant opening sometimes, you know, there are experiences which are very, very difficult and we can't see a way forward. And then if you're, you're, you're not open to it, then, then the path appears. Even we, you know, we think there's no way forward with this. But then, you know, the path just appears. The path is made by walking. You probably have heard that before. There's like a sense of oh, there's no way forward with this. And then, you know, if we really allow ourselves to be with the experience consciously, we will know what is the next step. We don't necessarily know, you know, the next 10 years ahead, but we know the next step and that's all we need to know. And that's that saying, you know, the path is made by walking, just knowing the next step and the next step. And really, you know, becoming more and more um, confident that this is the way to open to the experience. That doesn't mean, you know, that we allow to become doormats of, you know, certain scenarios, but it means opening to it, you know, seeing what is our experience, seeing what is happening, and then from that openness, you know, making the right response, which sometimes is to say no, and sometimes is to say yes, and sometimes is to stay, and sometimes is to go. That's different every time, and also different for different people at different times of their life, but nevertheless, you know, the clarity and the, you know, right response comes from allowing oneself to fully experience what is. And there's another poem here in this uh, book from Medi, which speaks to that. And this bikuni is also called Tissa. Tissa the third. And she says, why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a sort of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world as a free woman. Then walk the world a free woman. Break your chains and tear down the walls. You know, those are the attachments, of course, you know, in terms of reactivity or holding on or defending or going unconscious. There's different ways. And, you know, you probably know what yours are. But I know mine. And then walk the world a free woman. You know, which doesn't mean there won't be any difficulties in the world anymore. There's still old age, sickness and death and, you know, people losing things and, and, you know, being challenged. All of that is still all happening, but meeting it from a different place. You know, a foundation from which we can, you know, really be a fully embodied, you know, human being. 
to where we can allow ourselves to really be part of this work. But not to be completely identified with it. So to stay in relationship, it's not about, you know, turning away from the world or being aloof, you know, in, in the sense of not wanting to have anything to do with it and wanting to control one's life to the extent that, you know, there's no more challenges, which is anyway impossible. But, you know, many of us have tried and have seen that it doesn't really work. And here she says, you know, make every thought a sort of freedom, which means, you know, letting go. As soon as we are noticing and we're holding on to something, just letting it go, even just for one moment. And then letting it go again and again and again. And then over time through that training, you know, the chains get broken and the walls are crumbling. And then it becomes, you know, easier and easier to rest in that open awareness. You know, and then be able to participate in the human experience fully and uh, you know, become like those uh, fully enlightened nuns at the time of the Buddha, you know, who were able to really care from a place of strength and love, but they, you know, were including themselves in that. They didn't lose themselves and their, you know, and their direction, what they were working on. And still, you know, they were able to, to stay connected and, and uh, stay in relationship and, uh, help others. And uh, I brought a, a little snippet of a note which I have, which is from is a blessing from my first teacher, which he wrote with his own hand, Ajahn Buddha And I think it's it's like a summary of, of that poem and he says not to be sad not to be glad, but with equilibrium forever. So that's, you know, in a way, the same thing. You know, make every thought a sort of freedom. And, uh, you know, I don't think he means with not to be sad that we shouldn't be sad, but not identify with that. And not to be glad, not to identify with that but to stay, you know, stay in the middle as good as we can forever. And of course we can't do it forever, but we can come back to it again and again and again. And I have that on my shrine because it's a, it's a very good advice and, and it's a good blessing, you know, for all of us, for our practice to when the going gets tough, to just remember that, you know, just remember to open, and just for one moment. And then, you know, if we familiarize ourselves with that, how that feels, you know, it, it, 
it's an acquired taste because it's just so much more what we really want. You know, the sense of ease and that sense of uh, being where we are rather than, you know, having that sense of lack or sense of overwhelm. And that's you know, what the practice is really all about, that letting go. And, you know, in all schools of Buddhism, so many different uh, skillful means and uh, paraphernalia and outfits and chants and instruments and, you know, a huge spectrum. And everything is geared towards that, letting go and towards, you know, training ourselves to be more and more able to rest in that openness and so it's an acquired taste in the beginning it's just like hard work and it's just like there's nothing there because we have to refine you know our minds and hearts to be able to taste it and that's you know what can be called you know the development of the seven factors of awakening they are all about you know refining the mind sensitizing the mind so the mind can actually taste what that is because it can't be described it can be only it's like you know the finger pointing to the moon but then we have to just look and the looking means you know just letting go and then you know even just for a second for a split second so yeah reading that one more time of Ajahn Buddha Dasa the blessing not to be sad, not to be glad, but with equilibrium forever.